I'd like to welcome everybody here this morning. We have a number of visitors and a good crowd. Thank you for being here. I don't know if you're like me, sometimes things run through your head of what's it going to be like in the future. And that's kind of what prompted this, maybe a little bit. What in your mind is the greatest threat to the church? Think about those things from time to time. What's the greatest threat? Is it corrupt government? You know, coming off a couple years ago, is it an intrusive government? Is it an immoral government? Or switch gears a little bit. Is it sexual immorality? Is it the agenda that all these sexually immoral people have? Name all the initials you want to name. Or gender identity. All the ways that that's masked. Is that the greatest threat to the church? What about false doctrine? What about our kids growing up and leaving the church? What about denominationalism or Calvinism? What about worldliness? Humanism? Moral relativism? Apathy? And probably over the last several years, we've heard sermons on all these and maybe others as well. And all those are awful things. All those things affect us in lots of different ways. But I'm going to give you what I think is the greatest threat to the church. I think it's pride. Pride is the greatest threat to the church. And, and the challenge of giving a sermon about pride is that you have to be humble when you're doing it because guess who pride affects me just like it does everybody else. And here's the thing about pride and why I think it's the biggest threat. If you're old enough to understand anything that I'm saying today, pride affects you. If you're seven or eight years old and can understand what I'm saying, pride can be a problem in your life. The eldest person here, pride can be a problem in our life. It doesn't matter if you're young or old, if you're a man or a woman, it doesn't matter if you're an elder or a deacon or a preacher, or you may say, I'm just a member. Pride affects us all, and it can, it can ruin us all. And really, my definition of pride is kind of broad. It's, it's what stands in direct opposition to faith. We read lots of stories in the Bible about people that trusted God to do things that were undoable. The children of Israel, and we badmouthed them because even though God was feeding them and take care of them, all he asked was that you do what I ask you to do and trust me to take care of you. And we badmouthed them, but on the other hand, pride that affected their faith is the same thing that can affect and be in opposition to our faith. And really the opposite of pride, humility, is that I trust God so much that I'll do what He says. In 1 John 2, verse 15 to 16, John says, I do not love the world or the things in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, 
The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The pride of life. It doesn't specifically say, we get in our minds, a proud person is someone that talks about themselves a lot or makes a lot of noise about their accomplishments, and that's some of it. But as we go through today, I want you to understand, you can be a, proudful per, a prideful person, a proud person, and never open your mouth. You can be quiet and be overcome with pride. Pride was with all of us from nearly day one. And the devil, it says he was deceitful. He's tricky. He's still deceitful and tricky. Here's what he told Eve and what Adam believed as well. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. To me, the early temptation was you're going to be like God. He appealed to their pride that somehow they would be equal with God or they'd have the knowledge that God had. And they made decisions based on that. I want to look at pride in several different ways. And you know me, I like to use real life examples. And rest assured, I'm not speaking to any particular person, maybe myself, because I'm going to say some things. I'm going to get you to think about some things Maybe things you've even thought about, maybe never acted on or even said, attitudes that you may have that I'm going to guarantee have come out of your mouth or gone through your head <laughs> because they've gone through mine. Not every single one of them, but some of them have. And here's, here's the danger of speaking about pride and why it's so hard to do that. The ones of us that need it the most are the hardest to get it through to. Because what you say when you hear these things, what your mind will tell you, what the devil trying to be tricky and deceitful will get, try to get you to think is, oh, that's not really me. The stuff I do like that, people understand me and they overlook it and it's fine. <laughs> that's just me. And maybe that's the case. I don't have any way of knowing motives because sometimes things can get intermixed because there's a difference in having the confidence and to go out and do certain things and make things happen, and pride. And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. They're, they're so close together. And so it takes a lot of self-examination. It takes a lot of really truthful self-examination. It takes the ability to take criticism and, and really more than just a word and not somebody with a whip or somebody trying to catch you, but it takes being able to have a conversation with somebody that you trust to try to pick through some of these things in your mind. I think the devil tricks us enough that sometimes these things that really, in essence, are pride, we've turned them into good things in our life. And so I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater because some things aren't pride, but we've all got to examine ourselves. We've got to look at ourselves and make sure these things aren't creeping into us. So here's what we're going to look at. Look at me. Look at my accomplishments. Look at my family and acts of religion. I'm going to flip the, the channel a little bit. <laughs> Poor me, because I think that's rooted in pride as well. I'm better than. And questioning authority. First Samuel 9 and verse 2 talks about Saul, a guy that we've read about a lot. Here's what it said about him. He had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. 
I like to tell people, when you think about what a king ought to look like, that was Saul. He was good-looking, he was tall, tall, dark, and handsome. All the things that we think about that someone could take pride in because we all understand and when we see someone tall, dark, and handsome walk into the room, they, they have a certain presence about them. Just a few chapters later, after he's recorded all the problems that Saul created for himself and the people of God because he thought too much of himself and his pride took over, Samuel had this, kind of related this story. It says, So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. Samuel was sent out to find the next king after Saul disobeyed God because of his pride. And guess who walked in? The tall, dark, handsome brother. <laughs> the guy that looked like a king. Eliab, David's brother. And here's what the Lord said to Samuel. Because here was the prophet of the Lord that was fallen pray to the same thing that uh, we all do. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or at its physical stature because I've refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. We know later on in the Bible that God refers to David as a man after his own heart. That's who he's referring to when, you know, we, we know he didn't choose the good-looking brother. He chose David, someone who was plain-looking, uh, someone who didn't necessarily look like a king. And he was a man after God's own heart because he was humble. He wasn't perfect. We've read lots of stories. We know his family wasn't perfect. <laughs> We've read the stories of the chaos that was in his family. But our tendency is look at me. Now, all these things, none of us would sit back and go, yeah, look at me. <laughs> it's not a conscious thing like that. We do it in other ways, maybe ways that are more palatable. And maybe every time we do it, it's not for the particular reason. That's why I say, examine yourself, examine your mind, and, help, and have somebody that you trust and somebody that knows you that you can have conversations with. Because sometimes we put a lot of stock in our appearance or our fitness or what we wear, or what we drive. And if we're not careful, it becomes, I want the latest, greatest thing so that I can get attention. That somehow people will look at me. And there may be other things that make people look at me. Sometimes it's our accomplishments. You know, we're taught to work hard. In America, I think it's still true. You can work hard, and you can accomplish a lot of things. You can better yourself. The danger and the flip side of that is we can become prideful about that, like this farmer did in Luke 12, verse 16. He said, then he spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. None of us say, I'm going to work hard and save money and try to get myself financially comfortable so I can forget God. We don't do that. But that's what we know the rich farmer did. He accomplished really good things. And we need to accomplish really good things. There's a lot of things that need to be done. 
And accomplishing things is not wrong, but the problem is sometimes our accomplishments become our identity. Our accomplishments begin to be what we show to people. And I just pick some. As a youngster, the school I go to, or maybe what college I went to, my sports success, my choir success, my stock show success, any number of other things. Our life can become all those different kinds of things. Our identity can become all those sorts of things. And the problem with that is as a child, when that becomes our identity, that stays many times our identity as we get older. Sometimes it's the flip side. My kids will never be in sports. <laughs> My kids will never go to, you know, all that type of mentality. Because we can get prideful in that as well. Pride in not accomplishing. I've seen people that take as much pride in not accomplishing things as people that do. In being a ne'er-do-well or apathetic and being prideful about that. Let's grow up a little bit. Maybe it's my business growth or my business success. Because a lot of people here have businesses that have done very well. And, and praise be to God for that. It can be used to accomplish a lot of good in the kingdom. It's not about doing well or having success being bad. That's never been, been talked about bad or taught against in the Bible. What's taught about is not letting that take over our lives. And every single one of us, relative to the rest of the world, is rich. And really, relative to a lot of people in Plainview, we're rich. We've got a lot of stuff. And it's very easy to become prideful about that. And the list is probably never-ending. My possessions, my house, my money, my land. When's enough enough? When is enough enough? Somebody told me about the farmer one time that said he would be satisfied when he owned all the land that bordered his. <laughs> and it's easy to look at someone that's richer than us or owns more land than us and go, when's enough enough for him? <laughs> but we really need to look at ourselves. When is enough enough? And there's no hard answer. Most of us want, well, if you'll tell me if I have a savings account that's got six zeros at the end of it, well, that'll be enough. Or maybe if I have five zeros at the end of it, it'll be enough. Or maybe I want seven zeros at the end of my savings. I can't give you a concrete answer when enough is enough. But what I do know is the Bible tells us that when it becomes our identity and it becomes what we work for and it becomes what we take to other people as who we are, it really is a problem. And it really doesn't matter if it's five, six, or seven, or how many of our zeros you want to put it on the end because it can affect us all the same way no matter what we have. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's not our things we've accomplished. Maybe it's my family. Because we know family is extremely important all throughout the Bible. The promise to Abraham was passed down through faithful members of his family. We've got people at church here, and the church exists here, I firmly believe, because some families stuck it out when it really wasn't the cool or easy or popular thing to do. And you can go back. You may not find it here, but go back a few generations 
Families are extremely important. But we have to be careful if that doesn't become something we're prideful about. Something that overrides our faith in God. Paul talked about that in Philippians 3. And he was talking facetiously. He was talking foolishly to try to get people to think about it. If anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, in my family, I have more than you do, is what he said. I mean, he's talking about people that took stock in being a Jew because being able to trace your lineage back and proving up who your family was, that was a big deal. And if you couldn't prove yourself to be related to the right people, then you were a nobody. Probably wasn't quite the caste system that we've heard about in India, but you were a nobody if you weren't from the right family. And he says, be careful about that. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Here's what he says, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was, my family was as good as it gets. Concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Our families are extremely important. Without families, without strong families, the church would not exist. We used to say society wouldn't exist. And now, 40, 50 years from the time I first remember hearing that saying, you don't have to look very far around to see how far society has fallen down in lots of different ways because the nuclear family doesn't exist. Fathers and mothers don't teach their children the right way to live. They don't teach them about God. All the things that go with that. Family is extremely important. But what the danger is, is my family can trump everything. And it being about my family, and my family's better than your family, and yeah, I love you, but how you're raising your family is not the way to raise we got to be really careful that pride doesn't take over. I've seen it. You've seen it. That pride has taken over and it never ends very well. Now here's some of the things you might have said. I come from X generations of Christians. That's great. We know that when you're taught from a young age and it's the norm in your family, it makes the likelihood that you're going to stay in the church and the likelihood that you're going to raise your children in the church and to know God a lot higher. But we've got to be careful that that's not where we put our stock. Our stock is in God and doing our job to make sure our family doesn't break the chain or my immediate generation doesn't. See the good things I do with my kids. Look at all the stuff we're accomplishing. Or this, we've seen this, living vicariously through my kids. You know, I never was a football star, but I can make my kids one. <laughs> or I never won Houston Livestock Show, but boy, we're going to make sure my kid does, or my grandkid does. <laughs> or name how somehow we're going to accomplish the things through our children that we thought we never got to accomplish ourselves. Our family can be a source of pride, and we've got to be careful about that. A lot of times people with this attitude think it's just the opposite. They think that every time they apologize for themselves and every time they make an excuse of why they can't do something or all the different reasons that are given for not doing stuff, that they're being humble. And I want you to think about it. Really the definition of pride 
is not beating on your chest and say, look at me. Now, that's one manifestation of pride. But really, the, the root of pride is look at me and thinking only about myself. So when I'm saying poor me, I'm not talented or nobody likes me or some other things we're going to talk about in a minute. What I'm saying is look at me. Everybody's looking at me. And I'm, I've crippled myself because all I can think about is how I feel. <laughs> poor me. And the Bible talks very plainly and very directly about that. One of our biggest heroes battled that very same thing. Exodus 3, verse 11. Moses said to God, remember, Moses had a good excuse. From the age of about 40 to 80, he had been banished from Pharaoh's household where he was raised as the grandson of a king. And I say he went to the boonies where there was no people, very little action, and he watched sheep for 40 years. Until one day God came to Moses and said, Moses, you're the guy. You're going to go tell the, the king of Egypt to let my people go. And the picture I get in my mind is somebody coming to me and say, okay, you go tell Joe Biden, he better get his act together. <laughs> and the next thing is, okay, I'm going to go knock on the door of the gate of the White House, and what's going to happen? First, they're going to look at me and laugh, probably, and say, who are you? And, well, I'm going to keep at it. I'm going to keep beating, I'm going to climb the fence, and then what's going to happen? <laughs> probably going to throw me in jail or worse. And... It doesn't take long to figure out that doesn't get us anywhere. So Moses is in that spot, except for the king of Egypt didn't really have any restraint that he could do whatever he wanted. So at the risk of his life, Moses says, who am I that I can go to Pharaoh or I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Not me, God. I cannot do it. Not in me. Poor me. Chapter later, here's Moses still. He said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. I get tongue-tied. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I get nervous when I get around people. People think they're better than me. Reminded of Matthew 25 and verse 25, And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what's yours. Poor me. I don't have any talents. <laughs> Remember what the master called the servant that said this? Wicked. <laughs> he didn't say humble. He said wicked. <laughs> don't get in your mind that making excuses of poor me and I don't have any talents that somehow that's a good trait. We've all got our thing. I'm not, not saying it's an easy trait, nor is pride the other direction. Pride affects us all. And we've got to rely on God first to understand that we're all affected by it, and second, that He's got the answers. Poor me, nobody understands me. I don't have the talent that name the person has to cook or lead a song or preach or name all the stuff. I've heard a bunch of different ones. I'm sure I've said some of them. I'm betting you've said some of them or thought some of them. Heard some of them. Boils down to I'm afraid. 
don't know if it boils down to I'm scared, I don't want to. All those different things are pride. They're not shyness. They're not humility. They're us listening to the devil, the deceit of Satan, and thinking that what I feel is more important than what God wants me to do. And so we've all got a challenge. Let's flip back the other direction. Here's a common one. It's easy when, when we try to do what's right and try to live our lives according to the Bible, trying to read what it says and do what it says. That's what we're supposed to do. But the danger is sometimes we start looking down our nose at people that don't do it like we do. <laughs> Luke 18 and 11 talks about the Pharisee. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. It really didn't matter what the reason was. <laughs> you could name off several different more. It's the attitude that I'm better than they are. And the danger of that is pretty soon that creeps into us and we can look at the family sitting right across the pew or in the back corner of the building and go, man, I can't believe how they're raising their family. Can you believe the things they do? Here are some of the words that we say in our head that I think we're really saying I'm better than them. It's just common sense. If they were any smarter, they'd know better. <laughs> they ought to just know better, shouldn't they? And really what I'm saying is I'm better than you are because you can't figure it out yourself. <laughs> you ought to know that. It's common sense. Here's another one of my favorites. Making broad generalizations and going, those people, you know how they are. That's just how they are. And you know that. That's how they are. Why are you wasting your time? And maybe it's, it's enveloped in just a condescending attitude in general. It's really easy to get a condescending attitude that somehow I'm just better than everybody. Now, I want to be real quiet and humble about that. I'm, really, I'm not going to say it, and I'm not going to shout it from the rooftop, but in the back of my mind, I'm just better than my family's better, and I'm better and if they could just figure something out. And we've got to be really, really careful about that. If you're young, here's a way it, here's a way it manifests itself. My parents are so out of touch, they don't know anything. <laughs> Probably if I had a show of hands, which I'm not going to, everybody has said or thought that at some point in time. And you know what? It's not true. Your parents aren't out of touch. Your parents care about you. But the, the devil tries to deceive us whether we're seven or eight years old or 97 or 98 years old or anywhere in between. Here's another one. If you've always got to have the last word, here's what you're really saying. My idea is way better than yours, and it always is. <laughs> and I'm going to make sure you understand that because I'm going to get the last word in. And I challenge you to have a conversation, especially when it might be a little sticky with somebody, to say what you have to say and stop. And when they respond back, stop. And see how hard that is. It's not easy. But ultimately, we've got to do that. 
we've got to examine ourselves and make sure we're not always the one that has the last word. And here's the thing I'm going to talk about all those and we're going to go to questioning authority because I think it kind of envelops all of that. The thing about pride, and I don't have a lock on what pride's all about. I've just observed things for 50 years. I've watched myself. I've watched you. You've watched, you know, it's to step back and look at it. Pride is not about really objectively how much I've accomplished or how much money I have or how smart I am or all this stuff. Pride is a problem with our mind. We don't have to have anything and we can be proud about what we got. Our family can be in a train wreck and we can be overly proud of our family. We've got to examine ourselves. We've got to really be honest and open with ourselves and try to combat that with God's word. I want to end with this one. We're going to wrap up and we're going to say some things about what we need to do to try to battle pride. Questioning of authority. Questioning of authority is rooted in pride. And number 16, we read this. The, the intro, Korah and a few other people, I, I left it at that. And here's what they did. They gathered together against Moses after he was leading the people out of their bondage. Moses was, had accepted his responsibility and he was doing that. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? And to me, this is a, an easy example of questioning authority. God had set up Moses and Aaron as the leaders of the people gone through the God-given way. He appointed him directly in this case. And here were people that were followers saying, Moses, we're just as good as you are. <laughs> and we're holy just like you're holy. What makes you so special? And most of us, we like to think, <laughs> I think about myself, I would never sit in a spot <laughs> and look at leaders in a congregation or leaders in my community, or my state, or my nation, and go, man, I'm just as good as you are. Why are you setting yourself up? But when I really look back at it, I've done it at least in my mind, and probably in my actions too. And it's rooted in pride. And here's some of the things you may say to yourself, and really all you're doing is questioning authority. They should know better, whoever's in authority. They ought to know better. I know better than that. Why are they doing that? If it were me, here's what we would be doing. Or they just don't understand. They're out of touch, kind of like my parents. They're out of touch. Or it's even better. They're not just out of touch. They're hiding and covering up stuff. That's what these leaders are doing. Questioning authority is not rooted in fact, it's not rooted in faith, it's rooted in pride. The devil is tricky. He's deceitful. He'll disguise pride in a hundred other ways besides these that we talked about this morning. And he does it every single day. We've got to be on our guard. He'll cause me to justify my opinions over other people's. 
with things like it's a matter of my conscience and so therefore your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> He'll cause me to circle up with my friends that'll affirm me in my opinion. I've heard it said there's nothing more dangerous than a group of teenage boys gathering up together. Maybe that was Jack Hayes that said that. I don't remember who I, where I heard it first. And we understand that, that man, lots of mischief can happen when that happens. But I want us to think about it. There's nearly nothing more dangerous than prideful people gathering up and affirming each other's opinion and telling each other how smart they are. And that's a real danger. Pride will convince me that my OCD and need for control is a good thing. Pride will get me to believe that my shyness is an excuse for inaction. It'll convince me that I don't need the church or God in my life. I'm smarter than they are. I can accomplish this stuff on my own. I don't need other people to help me. So what's the solution? Humility. Simple, right? Simple in concept, but hard to do. And so I encourage you this morning, think about what it really means to be humble. Think about what it really means. It's not a magic thing of, of any one thing. It's really an attitude that triggers a bunch of different actions. James 4 and 6, Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If somehow you're couching pride in faith, those two things are incompatible with each other. <laughs> Remember, God gives grace to the humble. He talks about leaders. Not a novice or inexperienced, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. It can happen to everybody, leaders included. You've, you, we, got to be cognizant of that. Think about it. Ward it off. Proverbs 11 and 2, when pride comes, then comes shame. It's inevitable. Sooner or later, it's going to come back to roost. But with the humble is wisdom. That's where real wisdom can be found. When we're humble enough to listen to the Bible and place our faith in God and listen to other people, that's where we're really going to get wisdom. Not in all the books that we read and not all the speeches that we give, not in all the ways we prove up that we're smarter than everybody else. Humility is where real wisdom comes from. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We've read that thousands of times probably. But it's just as true now as it was the very first time we ever read it. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name, he acts with arrogant pride. We've got to be careful. So as we wrap up, do you find yourself in some of these situations not listening to people, thinking about what the very next thing I'm going to say in response to them is and don't really listen? That's pride. Do you find yourself finishing people's sentences for them because they're not going to do it right? If you make a lot of statements or thoughts like, if it were me or no one's coming and ask my opinion, be careful. That's pride talking to you and that's pride getting a grip. Churches split because of pride. Children are ruined because of pride. And people leave the church because of pride. Pride is evil. Pride, I think, is the, the biggest threat to the church because it's not all the things without. It's what comes from within that we've got to be careful for. And that starts right up here. 
So let's use the talent and the ability that God gave us humbly. Use it to further his kingdom. And I don't know how to say this in so many ways. because I'm saying it to myself just as much as anybody else. And my favorite person that always says, well, you stepped on my toes today. And I, we always do a little verbal dance. And I say, well, I wasn't stepping on your toes. I was trying to, I was stepping on mine too. But, but really, I cut it short today for my normal length. As you know, it's usually long. <laughs> We're going to be done because I firmly believe when you stomp on people's toes, and I really meant to today. I really meant to, my own included. Because when pride takes over, we don't listen. It takes something to get it through. Look at yourself hard. Help those that are close to you. You can't beat up every single thing they've ever done in their whole life. But we have to build faith, not pride. As we do that, we can be humble servants of God. If there's a way the church can assist you this morning... If pride's been an issue, maybe coming forward's the way to start the journey to fix that. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's something after that. If pride's an issue, please, please listen to those close to you and get it fixed because it will rear its ugly head at the worst opportune time. If someone's here that's been taught the gospel and would like to be baptized and start their walk with Christ, we'd also be glad to help you with that this morning. Please come while we stand and sing.